Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio, where we hear from people about the use of cannabis for medical purposes for themselves or a loved one. I'm Ian Jessup. Corey Yelland is away for the next few days. Today, we're going to talk to a man who, in a very short time, lost both his wife and daughter to cancer. In spite of his tragedy, he has been a strong advocate for cannabis as a medicine. Joining us from British Columbia is David Hutchinson. David, good to talk to you again. Ian, good, uh, good day to you. Take us through the personal circumstances that led you to becoming such a strong advocate for medical cannabis. Okay, so I'm something somewhat of an unlikely advocate, as I tell people, uh, born and raised in the United Kingdom to, with a father and grandfather who were both horticulturists. Uh, grew up living on a nursery, and uh, although my father would probably have liked me to have taken the family business over, I chose not to. I chose to go into the military. Um, once I'd finished my education, I joined the Royal Air Force. I served for 23 years in the Royal Air Force. Um, and the reason I tell people that was I had no no association with cannabis or indeed any drugs at all. Uh, it was very much the way we were trained in the military was that if we so much as looked at drugs, we would be a heroin addict within 24 hours. It was a it was a path to immediate destruction and certainly dismissal from your job. I married and had two beautiful daughters. And in 2002, I did, made the decision I was leaving the Royal Air Force. I wanted to leave the UK because I wanted to move to Canada, which I did that year. In 2005, my then 41-year-old wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, she went through conventional treatment um, for four years. Uh, she had surgery. She had radiation on more than one occasion. She had uh, chemotherapy. and uh, But unfortunately, she succumbed at the age of 46 as it metastasized and uh, spread around her body. Did you know at the time anything about cannabis? I think the only thing I knew about cannabis at that stage, in fact, I can be sure, it was all I knew at that stage is I had heard that it could be useful for chemo, uh, for people feeling nausea with chemo. And in fact, right at the end of my life, it was actually a palliative care doctor who suggested that my wife was at a stage where anything to keep her pain-free and to remove any nausea might be useful. So... Um, I was I was somewhat aware of it, but nothing that we acted on during my wife's life. Two weeks to the day before my wife passed away, the actual date was the 24th of November 2009, a date that's burned into my memory. My wife was entered into palliative care, and on the same day, I found out my 16-year-old daughter, my then 16-year-old daughter, had a brain tumour. Initially, we thought that she had a brain tumour because she was uh, getting some some light seizures and headaches and feeling somewhat anxious. Uh, and it was dismissed because the mother was palliative. But unfortunately, it turned out not to be the case. It turned out to be a brain tumour. She had surgery in 2010, but it was two years later, um, in 2011, where the type of tumour my daughter had changed um, from something called an anaplastic ependymoma to a glioblastoma multiforme. At that change, um, I started doing more research, and I had been doing a lot of research throughout, but it was that change to it becoming a glioma that was suddenly introduced me to the world of cannabis, and not just the use of it for 
pain or nausea, but potentially for some curative purposes. And very rapidly, um, I was connected with some of the some excellent people from around the world who were very generous with their time and were able to uh, point me in the right direction. Um, as I say, that was all happened in um, March 2011. And then in uh, the, a couple of months later, my daughter started taking a cannabis oil. So two weeks before your wife passed, uh, you find out that your 16-year-old daughter has a brain tumor. What sort of feelings went through you at the time? Um, I think as a, as a father and as a caregiver, um, I think uh, because I didn't have my wife, uh, you know, to, to bounce ideas off, um, I, was, I was struggling and uh, I was willing to look at anything. And as I said to many people, I was willing to, I was willing to consider any, any treatment, but I'm a, I'm a naturally a skeptic and I wanted to know that there was some science behind what I was being, what I was considering for, for my daughter. And it was that journey when I suddenly connected with some eminent uh, doctors and physicians and uh, academics from different parts of the globe. I suddenly realized this wasn't some, some fringe science. This, there was some genuine science behind what I was considering. How did your daughter react knowing that uh, her mother is dying and she, at the age of 16, has been diagnosed with a brain tumor? She was incredible. She was an incredible young woman. Um, she, she, she took it very stoically. And we had some very deep and uh, meaningful conversations. And I remember one of them, I said to her, I'm sure if we went into, a, into the depths of despair and, and uh, gnashed our teeth and wailed, that people would understand why we were doing that. However, I said people's um, sympathy only lasts for a certain amount of time. And then they would they would say, haven't you got over that yet? Or, you know, are you still con continuing in that way? And she said, no, we're going to do everything we can to try and fight it. And uh, she was very open to look at everything, but she was also naturally sceptical about things as well. So uh, she was she was an incredible young woman. Well, one thing I would say, if anybody is uh, anybody wants to, uh, to go onto YouTube, you can find under Beth's Brain, so B-E-T-H, um, apostrophe S brain, Beth's brain, she left a video on there about her fight with uh, cancer. And uh, she said in there that she was shocked when I mentioned cannabis, you know, her as a teenager, and her father was suggesting that potentially she should consider using it. Do you ever watch that video? Yes, I do. How did your other daughter react to the fact that her sister has a brain tumor and her mother is dying? Um, she was... Um, she. She was incredible. She was an incredible support to her sister. I think the one person she wanted to talk to about the loss of her mother, because her mother died just two weeks later, and over the coming coming years was really her sister. But um, she knew her sister was then facing a diagnosis with cancer. And that was, I mean, for a, for a young woman, that was a, a horrific prospect. But uh, she she came through that, and uh, she's uh, she you know, she continues to develop, and uh, she's an amazing young lady. Now, your daughter Beth, uh, before she started using cannabis oil, she underwent uh, what is termed loco-regional hyperthermia. What was that, or what is that? Um, she had um, uh, yeah, casting my mind back here to think think of that. It's um, it's a treatment that's done in certain centres around the world where they actually freeze the freeze the tumor within within the body it's a it's a it can be done for different parts of the body and it's something that 
attacks the attacks the cells. I suppose in a similar way to radiation, it's targeted therapy to actually um, to treat the tumor. And she went through a, a series of uh, series of sessions with that, which. I guess we'll we'll never know, but it bought her more time. She did a combination of things, but it certainly bought her more time, and she was considered an unusual case by her, her medical team at BC Children's Hospital simply because the type of tumour she had comes back very, very quickly and kills you very quickly. Did she undergo surgery at all? She had five brain surgeries, all at Children's Hospital. Five? Yeah, all in Vancouver, yeah, mm-hmm. all of them. Now, you're quoted as saying that your daughter loved a cup of tea. Tell us about that. Yeah, she was uh, she was born in, in the United Kingdom and uh, inherited probably from her mother and from me a, or a British love of tea. She enjoyed her tea, and that was something that she always thought that um, any situation could be improved if you say, let's have a cup of tea and talk about it. She she became very knowledgeable. She, um, she even created her own... Her own blends through a company down in the states that uh, that people could buy, and she tried different different blends. She always uh, she always loved that. In fact, she had a job um, working in a tea room in Steveston in British Columbia as well. She did that for for a while, and uh, yeah, just she had a re- it was one of her passions. That I think that uh, that and music and arts and um, things like Sherlock. She loved watching the TV show Sherlock. She had certain things that she really loved. Oh, and Audrey Hepburn, that was another thing she loved. She also developed a bucket list, and on that list was skydiving. Did you go along with her? No, I didn't. I had I skydived myself when I was in the military, but I didn't. In fact, if anybody goes on to that YouTube uh, link, you'll find under Beth's brain, you'll find her skydiving video as well. She did that seven months before she passed away, and... Uh, yeah, it was something she wanted to do. She you know, went off one Sunday morning in Abbotsford in British Columbia, and she skydived, and uh, I was very proud of her. And it, she was thrilled to have done it as well. Now, David, take us through uh, the, the use of cannabis with respect to Beth's brain tumor. Okay, so fairly quickly, I mean, some of your listeners will be familiar with a gentleman in Spain, um, Professor Manuel Guzman. Uh, he's at the University of Complutense in Madrid, and he and his team have done some amazing work with uh, with cannabis and uh, directly on the use of uh, many tumours, but particularly breast and brain. Uh, indeed, injecting it directly into it and done it in uh, in the laboratory. He's a, he's not a clinician; he's a, he's an academic and a researcher. But there's enough there to make anybody who is looking for a potential uh, solution to know that there's something useful. So I contacted him. That that connection happened very, very quickly. And uh, he sent me some advice to look at using concentrated oils, which at the time in Canada were illegal. They were illegal to, to manufacture or to possess. But he advised that it would need to be taken in a concentrated form, not not smoked, um, that, coupled with another very useful article or useful paper out of BC Children's Hospital from January 2011, which were two teenage girls um, from British Columbia who both had a, a type of um, tumour called a, um, it's an astrocytoma, it's another type of brain tumour, and both of these girls uh, who didn't know each other had spontaneous um, spontaneous regression of the of the tumors people can google that and find that article uh, and when i read that as well these two girls had indeed smoked it and uh, they're both 
still alive and thriving. The, the astrocytoma type of tumor they had, they had is a slow, steady grower. It's benign. It's not malignant, but it's it will kill you. It's a slow, steady grower. And these two girls had uh, full, full remission. They're now uh, cancer-free. So they had a slow growth of their tumor, whereas Beth's was very rapid. Yeah, Beth's was malignant and super rapid growing. Theirs were a slow, steady grower. It grows... I think of it like um, the, the, the roots of a plant. It grows in all directions, and very, they can't operate on They can't do surgery for it. They can't do uh, chemo, chemo or radiation for it because it just spreads all over the brain. It sounds uh, like it so almost has tentacles. Yeah, that's a good description of it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you told your daughter, Beth, about cannabis, how did she respond? Well, as you'll see in the video, she actually commented on that. She said she was shocked. She said, that, you know, whose who's father goes to his teenage daughter and says, I think you should start taking cannabis. She thought I was joking at first. And I said, I've done some research, Beth, and I want to show you stuff. And I'd started putting stuff in front of her to read. I said, you look it through, you read it. And she was she was astounded to see that I wasn't just making this up. This was coming from some excellent centers of excellence from around the world, from Spain, from Israel, from the United Kingdom, from the States, um, just some incredible work that's, that's out there. Um, but there's a, such a huge stigma about it. She, she, like myself, would believe the stigma that associated with it. Yeah, and I think most of us, uh, most of us believed it and have believed it for the last uh, 79 years. Now, she started taking it. How often a day was she taking the cannabis oil? Well, she needed to go on to a, a ramp-up schedule, so I, I, I was very much um, feeling my way through that because it was very difficult to, to know where to go for legitimate, uh, legitimate advice. But um, she did a ramp-up to a small amount, um, starting at uh, a fraction of a gram a day, and she built up to approximately three-quarters of a gram a day was what she got up to, and she would take that towards the end of the day. At the time, she was taking something that was much higher in THC than it necessarily needed to be because that was what I could get hold of. That was that was what was available. At the time she started taking this, the, the LP system didn't exist um, through the government. And in fact, the, the, the whole government journey through Health Canada was a, was a, separate, uh, a separate interview, I think. It took a long time for them to approve it. What sort of reaction did she have to this high THC? She, the first time she took it, uh, again, she mentions this in, the, in her YouTube video, she felt like a fizzing in that part of the brain where she knew the tumour was. She'd seen the, the MRI, the uh, imaging of it, and she knew where the tumour was or the remains of the tumour, where it had, the tumour bed, where it had been removed from. And she said to me, Dad, I can feel that there's something going on, there's something going on in there. And I think she was, she was a little scared, but... I said, that's good. I know that means it's going right into work where it needs to be working. And I was uh, I was somewhat happy with that from the stuff I'd read online. It did one of she took she took the oil for 18 months and uh, uh, glioblastomas normally recur very quickly. Within three to four months, they're back and growing like crazy and uh, uh, you know, going from two to four to seven to, to ten uh, centimeters in size within the brain. They, they grow very, very quickly. Hers was not. Hers was uh, considered stable. The fact that they'd removed the tumor and there was no recurrence. What I would say with the THC is because she was taking a higher, a higher percentage of THC than she necessarily needed to, it did have a, a, a great sedative effect. So she slept a lot, which at first wasn't an issue because she was taking that. But as time went by, she wanted to be more 
more compassmentous and more with it, uh, particularly she then wanted, as she wanted to start university. Now, when we talk about a high THC, what percentage uh, are we talking about, David? I don't know the exact percentages because at that stage there was no way for me to have had it tested. But I know the strain that she was used or that, that was used, and uh, it was highly concentrated. But I think it was um, uh, as, as a ratio that the, the, the CBD, the kind of a dial within it, would have been minuscule, and that the the THC was probably around. Uh, 20 to 22 percent in that range it would be my best guess i think it's rather interesting her comment that she feels a fizzing fizzing in the area of of where the tumor was yeah i've heard other people i've heard other people make exactly the same comment it's um one of the things with cannabis it's uh it does trans does go through the blood brain barrier many many drugs and indeed many chemotherapies that are used for other cancers will not go through the blood barrier blood brain barrier so they're not usable with brain tumors but cannabis does cannabis goes through the blood brain barrier and uh, i think the correct term is lipophilic and uh, and it, it does it will go in there and it will go after it'll go after the bad guys basically now she quit taking uh, the cannabis oil do you know why um, yes, I mean one of the things I sort of I say to people is she she was eighteen months into it and uh, she she told a f- um, family family member that she thought she'd got this thing beaten and she you know she'd had the, she was told this was going to be back in two or three months and here she was eighteen months later with clear MRIs every three months and she thought she had this thing beaten and also she didn't like feeling groggy the next morning so she decided to stop taking it and that was one of the most difficult conversations that. I've ever had in my life with her. Um, I say to people, if you, the men listening will understand, it's it's hard arguing with a woman. It's even harder arguing with a teenager. And if she's your own daughter, well, good luck because she just said she was an adult. She was eighteen at this time, at this time or uh, nineteen, and she decided she wasn't taking it anymore. She, that was it. She'd stopped. And when did she find out that uh, it had returned? Um, she'd started at university, at University of British Columbia, and about five, just over five months later, she phoned. Uh, it's a phone call I, I don't like to recall because it makes me quite emotional, but uh, she could barely talk. She was in tears, mm-hmm. and uh, she knew it was back. David, and how long before she passed? She lived another year beyond that. She lived until um, October 2013, 25th of October 2013. David, you suggested that uh, prior to using uh, marijuana that you were you had a, a typical attitude, I, I guess is the best description, that a number of people have with respect to marijuana, that uh, it will make you crazy, it's bad for you, that we shouldn't take it, you become a drug addict. How has assisting your daughter with her brain tumor changed your attitude and your beliefs in cannabis as a medicine? I think it forced me to look at the science. Uh, again, I, I, there are lots of websites out there that are created by some very well-meaning people, but they don't have the the academic or scientific rigor that I was seeking. Um, when I looked at this and realized I learned about the, the endocannabinoid system, that changed my, changed my perspective of it and information coming out about that all the time. There was some huge amount of work going on around the world to understand more about this and how important this is for human physiology. When I realized that we have a system within us, within every human and every animal, every vertebrate on the planet has this system within it that regulates all these different 
all these different functions of the human body and that it can be influenced by taking something externally, uh, an exogenous source, uh, exogenous cannabis, or in this case a phytocannabis, so it's a can- cannabinoid, cannabinoids in a plant, I realized that this is, was a very, very powerful medicine, and it wasn't just brain cancer, it was other cancers, and it was um, a whole host of issues like multiple sclerosis and fibromyalgia. I mean, there are 700, 700 chronic conditions uh, listed that, that it positively impacts. So it was a, a real awakener for me, and I also started to realize that there's a very good reason why why it's been kept illegal for a long time it, it it negatively impacts a lot of um a, a lot of different industries uh and maybe with interests uh, vested interest in it not being legal you know you you raise an interesting point because uh when i was in commercial radio interviewing i interviewed you uh, once and i interviewed cory once a month and when i very the very first time i interviewed cory i knew absolutely nothing about marijuana but what really changed my mind is what changed your mind the endocannabinoid system within the body i had no idea about this and in the discussion and interview we did a couple of weeks ago with microbiologist bob melamede he said probably most physicians have no knowledge of the endocannabinoid system within the body and when you look at that and you see all the research that has been done over the years, it really is startling that somehow this plant, this medicine, has been taken away from us, the citizens of the world, and uh, stigmatized and demonized, uh, demonized over the years. And I think once, you, once that hits you, there's almost a light that goes on, and you say, you know what, this stuff works. Do you agree? Absolutely. It's um, Professor Melamede's a fantastic man. He's been been doing work in this for a long time, and he speaks so eloquently about it and so credibly as as a as a, as a professor. He really understands this, but he respects the work that has been done in hundreds and hundreds of laboratories across the world. I mean, there are, even today there are forty five research projects underway with just within Canada not the sort of thing you tend to read in the mainstream media. It's, but although that, that is getting out there more and more, but uh, realizing this is something that we, are, we have a hard wiring for and there is something lacking in our diet and in, uh, there are some, a lot of toxins in the environment that are causing a, a whole host of uh, medical conditions with people. Something I'm, I was just thinking of this morning, when I grew up, I think until I was probably 20, I think I'd only known one person who'd had cancer, now, every day goes by, I hear of somebody else who's got another cancer. They're just happening all the time. But there are a host of other medical conditions, um, people with, with migraines and, uh, and the ones I mentioned before, the whole host of conditions that, that can be positively impacted by this. And when you start to realize that this is a positive medicine, it, it's, a, it's a depressing thought that, that, that it has not been more widely available. Now, I had a similar conversation with a friend uh, a few weeks ago over coffee, and we are saying, he said to me, do you, when you were growing up, do you ever recall someone our age, being kids at the time, someone our age ever having brain cancer? And I said, no, I can't think of anybody. No one. And today it's so widespread. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. In, in the last few years that you've been advocating for medical cannabis, 
what changes have you seen in the public at large toward marijuana? There's been a significant shift. The, 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 the people like in the States, I mean, what they call the medical profession called key opinion leaders or KOLs, like Dr. Sanjay Gupta, when somebody as credible as him speaks out about this, as he did in 2013 with his, uh, his video Weed, again, that's something that's available on YouTube, and he said, we've been terribly and systematically misled for 70 years, and I apologize for my own role in that. This is a highly credible man. He's a neurosurgeon, a medical doctor, a neurosurgeon, chief medical correspondent for CNN. He was pre- uh, President Barack Obama's first choice to be, uh, he was offered the position to be Surgeon General, but declined it because he enjoys his media work. But when somebody like him or somebody more closer to you in Victoria, in British Columbia, Dr. Dave Hepburn or Dr. Rob Seeley, those people speaking out about this, and saying, this is what we've learned. We thought we knew a lot about medicine, and we thought we knew this, but we didn't know anything about the endocannabinoid system. And I think those key opinion leaders have changing the perspective of the medical community, but they're also changing the perspective of the general population. People watch TV shows and watch things like The uh, the Weed, I mentioned, by uh, Dr. Gupta, and when they see these people talking about it, they start to do more research, and there is a level of acceptance and just... We've seen another four states in the United in the USA have now legalized medical cannabis, and another four have legalized it for recreational use. There is a huge shift in perception amongst the public. It's changing. The, the unfortunate thing is it's changing a lot faster with the public than it is with the politicians. The politicians and law enforcement and so on and so forth are still still stuck in the, in the 1970s or 80s and they're still viewing this in a different way. Um, it has to change and it will change, in my opinion. It's, it's inevitable. There's the, the tipping point has long since passed. You've got uh, a fifth of the USA has uh, um, recreational um, cannabis now. It's, uh, it's, that's going to be a huge shift. And I think the same within Canada, assuming that the, uh, the, the Liberal government follow through on their their promise to legalize, I think that will change the the whole discussion even further, whether that happens in 2017 or 2018. I think that will change it yet again. David, do you think the American government will legalize marijuana? I think it's inevitable. I think it will, first it will be medical will come first. They will legalize it to say every state that wishes to, there's not an issue, uh, the, the previous administration. I think it, that, that, is, that will happen. I think it will come much like the end of alcohol prohibition. I mean, prohibition in whatever form has never worked. Uh, whatever you look at, whether it's been language or culture or religion or most famously alcohol, no prohibition has ever has ever lasted. It always fails. If people are going to do it, they're going to do it anyway. And if you look at, there is not a, a penitentiary. I mean, one of the, the you know the places that are probably the most secure in North America, like the, uh, the, the the prisons and jails across the country, there is not a penitentiary in, in North America that is drug free. So if the drugs are getting in there. How would people think they're going to keep it out of general society? So it's going to exist. It's how do we work with it? I'm not proposing that necessarily all drugs should be legalized. I have my own own perspective on that, but that's a separate discussion. But I certainly think it will change. I'm slightly concerned with the change of government in the USA, um, where the new administration will go from January. Um, I don't really know, but Trump has certainly said he thinks medical is very, very useful. And... uh, 
think that will continue to grow. And we've talked about uh, legalization of marijuana in Canada and the U.S., but I'm not familiar with the laws in Europe. What's the situation like there in the various countries? It's a very mixed bag. So the most liberal, I would say, is probably uh, is Portugal. They decriminalized possession of all drugs in 2001. So if you're arrested for something and found with some, I don't know, some cocaine in your pocket, that's not, it's not, you're not charged for that. And they've seen a, a, a great response to that. There's some very good, um, very good documentaries and movies about that. People can do their own research on Portugal. Holland, Holland has famously had a, a liberal attitude since the 1970s um, with coffee shops in places like Amsterdam. But then there are other countries that do not allow it at all. There is no medical access and no recreational access. Bizarrely, my own my own home country of, of Great Britain, they don't allow medical access, although they have a, the company there, the, probably the biggest cannabis manufacturer, pharmaceutical manufacturer in the world, GW Pharmaceuticals. They're based in the UK and they make product that they then send around the world for use for things for things like multiple sclerosis and cancer pain. They sell it overseas, but it's grown and produced in the UK. It's odd, isn't it? It's very it is. It, very, it, it varies from country to country. There's as many different regimens in, uh, in Europe as there are countries. David, it was uh, good of you to do this, and I very much appreciate it. Anything you'd like to say in conclusion? Um, yes, any of your listeners that have, it could be for themselves, it could be for a family member, it could be for a friend. Um, if you have a medical condition and you think, I wonder if cannabis is any good for this, just go on to Google, use Dr. Google, just type in cannabis and type in whatever it is. So let's assume it's arthritis. Type in arthritis and cannabis and then hit uh, enter and then see what comes up. And I'm not suggesting you look at uh, fringe sites, but if you look at the, 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 the highly legitimate medical sites like The Lancet from the UK, uh, from the British Medical Journal or from the New England Journal of Medicine or in the USA PubMed, that's the US National Medical Library. Uh, if you look on there, you will be astonished to find thousands and thousands of articles about the use of cannabis with different medical conditions, and I'm sure you'll find something for your condition on there. Well, it's interesting, uh, David. Uh, great to talk to you. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do on this show is something that you've done uh, for the last few years is educate people on the medical benefits of cannabis using the science, personal experiences. And I think the personal experiences, like the one that you shared today, uh, really helps people change their attitude toward it and at least give it a try. Thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ian. Thank you to your, to your listeners. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. And I just wish everybody have good good health. There you have it, another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Wherever you are in the world, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms podcast. 
I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.